From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm your host, Gary Putnick, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They did it. They did it. The Super Bowl champions. Sebastian. So we have Austin Reynolds on, my co-host and good friend, as usual, and we also have Sebastian Angel Riano champion of the world today he is raising his arms high in celebration of his tampa bay bucks sebastian i'm just gonna let you take over for this little part here just take us through yesterday for you yesterday i woke up uh pretty late actually around one in the afternoon i guess my body was like i'm, I'm gonna force myself into hibernation until it actually is the at the time on the day of days and what was probably the most important day in tampa sports history um, so far, or at least one of them. Uh, I woke up at around one o'clock in the afternoon, and I immediately thought my 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 head went. It today is their tag, the day. Um, just kind of sat around. Honestly, I just sat around, kind of staring at my wall um, for about three or four hours. I went out, grabbed like the biggest pizza I could buy at Hungry Howie's, because um, it's across the street from my house. Um, ate that, was too full to really think about, like, any sort of, like, Super Bowl dinner or spread or anything like that. Um, stared up my wall some more, and when I looked at my clock the next, um, the next time I looked, it was, it was 6 o'clock. It's like, okay, it's go time. My, my throat, my stomach was in my throat. Uh, my hands were shaking. My, my heart was beating. Knees weak, uh, arms are, arms are heavy. Mom spaghetti, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> um, and I was like, it's go time. It's go time. And then we, we watch the game. Um, we're going to get to the game, obviously, later. I'm going to hold my, like, the rest. Um, but I guess one thing I can touch on really quick. That halftime show, shout out to the weekend, man. That, like, you 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 had a lot of parameters that you had to work around if you were planning to this year's uh, Super Bowl show. But that was really cool. Like, that was the most enjoyable um, Super Bowl, like, halftime show. I know the Miami people are going to be like, oh, what about last year's? Yeah, last year's was pretty good. But, like, honestly, in terms of, like, memorability, like, there's only, like, two artists that come to mind that have performed in the past, um, like, 15, let's call it 15 years. And that is uh, Bruno Mars yeah. and the artist known as Prince. Mm-hmm. Those two performances are the ones that, like, stick out in my head. And it's like, man, those were truly great performances. It, it was a very good halftime show. I actually enjoyed it. I didn't, like, I think it was enjoyable for us because a lot of those songs are ones that we know and we hear a lot. It's kind of, it kind of sucks when you hear songs you're like, oh, what's this? Like, I don't yeah. really know. Yeah. Uh, it, it helps that, like, so for reference, we do have another Super Bowl in the 21st century that we can, we can look back to and say, well, what was being performed the last time the Super Bowl was in town for Tampa? And the last time they played was 2008, I believe. For yeah, the I, I know the Pittsburgh matchup. Steelers yeah. and Cardinals. Steelers, Cards. Uh, the band that played that year was The Who. <laughs> and, and let's just say, like, The Who is a good band. Like, I, rem- I remember that one. Yeah. That's yeah. one of the ones that I remember because, I don't know, I'm not a huge Who fan, but that's it's a memorable but, one like, for me. They're, they're a bit past their years, no? Like, like, it's not like you got, like, Michael Jackson in, the 90, in like, 92 or whatever mm-hmm. when he performed, which is, like, the GOAT um, Super Bowl performance. But, um... But yeah, we've we've got a we've got a bit of truth through it. I think we're we're leaving that to the back half of the show. Yes, second half of the show will be all NFL Super Bowl stuff. But we are also joined by one of our V eighty nine anchors here, Max Escarpio. Max, how are you doing? And what were your thoughts on the Super Bowl? Because I know you won't be here for the second half. You're just sticking around for the first. I mean, a lot of people a lot of people were trying to bet against me because I thought it was going to be a good game, and I might have had the Chiefs before, but. 
I was lucky enough not to bet bet against Brady, and uh, I didn't. So he has his seventh now, and he's the the greatest athlete. Yeah, athlete. Athlete. Okay. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I said athlete. Okay. All right. That's a heads of old take there, but I think it's pretty warranted still at this point. I. I made the mistake, picked with my heart, and I think both uh, Austin and I, we both picked with our hearts there, and we got beat. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Patrick Mahomes, I like to say, is my favorite non-Falcons player, so there was a little bit of bias playing into that. Really no ill will towards Brady, even for Super Bowl 51. I just wanted Patrick Mahomes to get the repeat, despite all the uh, the offensive line struggles, which we're going to get into as a huge reason why that game was as lopsided as it was, but... Uh, that, that tells me never to root against the GOATs. I know. It, I, I thought about it, too, once we made our picks last week. I was like, oh, shoot, I picked against Brady again. Yeah. I thought about it. I was like, I say, I say never to pick against him because he does this kind of stuff every single time. But we'll get to that stuff later. I yes. don't want to use up all of our NFL talk now. But uh, we got some FSU men's basketball, men's and women's. And we got a lot of stuff going on. FSU men's and women's basketball got games this week. The FSU softball team opening weekend this weekend. That'll be great. We'll get to a little bit of that. And we also got some NBA talk this first half. So stick around for that. And uh, so let's start off with the FSU men's team. They got hit again with the COVID break. It's number two on the season. This one is not going to be as long as their first. Their first one totaled about two weeks. This one's only going to be about a week and a half, really. Close to two weeks, kind of. But still, it still hurts for this team because... Late on Monday night, literally after our show, I sat down on my couch after we were done. I was like, great show. We did. We covered a lot of good stuff there. And then right there, they hit us with FSU's next three games will be canceled. So that means the BC game, which we were talking about last week, where BC was going to be coming in dilapidated with only four scholarship players to their team. And not too much to look forward to. That game got canceled. Then we had uh, Pitt and These NBC. are straight up, I'm sorry to interrupt, but those are straight up cancellations or, or postponements? I, I, I think they're postponed right now, but just looking at the how compressed the schedule is the rest of the way, I'm pretty sure they could only fit in like one or two of these games. Yeah, so I, 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 I would say more likely than not, they're just going to be flat out canceled. Because Pitt, Pitt was originally set for earlier this year, then yeah. that got postponed and placed to that last weekend. Right. But that obviously has been postponed, most likely to be canceled. Maybe... Maybe they can squeeze in a game against BC or probably not VT because they play VT already again this year. So they're, it's going to be tough with this whole schedule here. But just on this season, how do you think this team's going to be able to respond? Max, we can start with you on this one because this is now number two. So do you number two on their COVID break, is this going to hurt them more than their first one? Because obviously they came out great after their first one. I definitely think it will help them. I mean, they look really really sloppy in that Georgia Tech game. Turnover after turnover. They couldn't hit threes. And I think it'll help them. Last time, Raekwon Gray said that and uh, in the COVID break, they went back to the drawing board. And I think they went back to the drawing board this time and saw what they were doing wrong, saw the film against Georgia Tech, and I think they'll come back stronger. Yeah, if past history is anything to go off of, then we should expect them to just come out and blow Wake Forest out of the water on Saturday. But... I'm not too confident in that prediction because, like, we've seen enough COVID breaks from different teams to know that some come back strong, like FSU from this first one, and some just come out completely flat. Like the women, they took a while to get going uh, once they came back from their break around the same time the men did. So it, it could be – I think the uh, the official release from the ACC said that one player tested positive, and that started the whole contact tracing initiative. So if it is just one player this time, then that's – a lot less to worry about. Obviously, there could be some more positives that have turned up in the week or so since that announcement, but 
I have faith that FSU, FSU can come out uh, competitive against Wake Forest. I don't think they're just going to be slow and lethargic like some people do. And it's better that this, so you mentioned Wake Forest, so they'll be opening, they're, hopefully their next game should be against Wake Forest on Saturday, February 13th at noon in the Tucker Center. And it's better that it's this game that they're coming back for rather than on Monday night, yeah. a quick, quick turnaround on Monday when they uh, play UVA at home here on Saturday, on Monday night at 7 p.m. So that's going to be a really good test for this team to kind of see where they're at. And um, it's it would really be bad for them if they opened up with UVA on that Saturday. But thankfully, that's not the case for them. For sure. It's sort of what you were talking about last week when we were talking about the Heat sort of underachieving to start the season off. Uh, they, they have also been riddled by COVID and injuries and all that. And you said that now that they've gotten their guys back, the opening schedule, I think it was Hornets and then the Wizards twice and then the Knicks, I want to say. Those were their first four, first four games back with Jimmy Butler and the rest of the squad intact. So it's the same sort of story. Like you have not a cupcake, but a winnable game to start off with. And then you get into the meat and potatoes, like the games that are really going to matter for ACC seeding down the road. Exactly. And we talk about some of the players that could and might be back or might be missing because who knows, some of the guys may have had COVID and gotten it and are still recovering. But one guy that uh, we are still worrying about or wondering about his health is Anthony Polite. Yeah. He is, uh, as of right now, he should be uh, he should be healthy going into the rest of the way through the season. I know he's been dealing with a in, uh, shoulder injury, but uh, Max, what do you think having Anthony Polite possibly back for this ne- for these next couple stretches of the season? What do you think that's going to do for this team? I mean, it, put, it puts Raycon Evans back to the bench, and uh, they have a good they have a better bench now. But they miss Anthony Polite. If they missed, I think. The Anthony Polite Scotty Barnes duo kind of in the in the backcourt was just good for the team, and they missed him. But uh, Coach Hamilton said that he has an injury that they don't know the timeline for, so hopefully he'll be back. Yeah, yeah. We've seen the past couple games. FSU has been really hit or miss from three. I, I would say cold more often than hot. Um, they have not been able to rely on Wyatt Wilkes, Raquan Evans uh, for these extended stretches, and Anthony Polite. I know you and me both talk about we did not expect this kind of performance from Anthony Polite. He sort of came into his own end of last season, and so far he has been able to keep up his strong performance into the early parts of 2020 and 21. But, I mean, this this team desperately needs his services. This is not something we thought we would say in 2018 or 2019, but the tables have completely turned, and this guy this guy's performance is something that uh, the team is definitely going to need when, they jo- when they're jockeying for a position in the ACC. And it just goes to show you how much veteran presence for Leonard, Leonard Hamilton-run teams really impact them, and yes. him being around here for four years now, it really starts to take hits if he's not there, if he is there, because you can just look at the numbers. I mean, like Austin said, they're more often cold than hot when it comes to the three-point shooting. Why Wilkes cannot carry this team on his back from the three-point line. That's that's completely fair because no one man should have to deal with all that pressure there. But if they're able to get Polite back, and obviously it hasn't been cleared yet from by the doctors, according to Kerr Weiler of the Tallahassee Democrat, but uh, Hamilton does say the shoulder is feeling good. So that's a big uh, plus if FSU is able to get him back in that starting lineup or even coming off the bench in any sort of capacity. Him being back for this team should be a nice little boost for them. But... For this team going forward, kind of as a whole, Max, what are you expecting to see out of this game uh, from the Seminoles against Wake Forest on Saturday? I mean, I definitely think they'll start off slow because they haven't played in three games, and I'm pretty sure Wake Forest has. But I think though, I think their three-point shooting will definitely improve. 
and they'll just attack. I think they'll start to attack in the in the beginning, and they'll they'll start from the paint outside and play through the outside in the beginning. Yeah, I, I'm sort of in the same vein. Uh, Wake Forest has been playing during this break. They've played on the second. They're going to play on the tenth against Boston College, and that's also a road game. So. Uh, this FSU game is going to be the third in a stretch of road games for Wake Forest, so maybe FSU can catch them at the right time. Wake Forest sort of towards the tail end of this uh, this road trip, already looking to go back home and get some get some rest, get, get some experience back at their own court. So this could be the perfect storm for FSU, but at, at the same time, we just keep echoing ourselves from earlier in the season when both basketball teams were dealing with this. We don't really know what to expect. I, I do think that FSU starting off slow is to be expected. Uh, I think a win is to be expected, considering the quality of Wake Forest. They're 14th in the ACC, so a loss to this Demon Deacons team would pretty much uh, not spell the end for FSU, but it would be a really bad indicator of the team's strength and competitiveness going forward. So I I would definitely expect a win, just not as flashy as the 30-point victory over NC State a couple weeks ago. Yeah, but who knows? I mean, there's always still that possibility because they could come out and be a little bit rested if some, hopefully most of the guys, if they did not get covid they can come out there with that bit more of that intensity. So once again, we're hoping that all these players stay safe and healthy throughout the whole season. But we got a lot more to talk about here. We got FSU women's basketball. In their past week, they were 1-1 one and one in their two games. A win against UNC, a 10-point win, 61-51, to and then a 15-point loss to the Hurricanes down in Coral Gables. So not a particularly great week for the Seminoles, but also not a bad week because they were able to take one of those two games. So it's nice to see them kind of starting to get back on that uptick there. But is it, Austin, is it too late for them to kind of make that push and maybe kind of more solidify themselves for a better spot or even a spot in this NCAA tournament going forward? I don't think it's too late because their performance against UNC, while it was kind of inconsistent, it is still a a double-digit win in the ACC. And I was watching that game, covering it for the FS View, and the commentators did mention that according to the current prognostications are current as of Thursday. Uh, FSU should be in the mix for, say, like a 9-10 seed. So I don't think this loss against Miami is going to do a ton of damage to their their status. Uh, it's really just going to come down to how well they present themselves in the ACC tournament, which, I mean, y- y- you just look at the schedule for this FSU women's team. They have won t- two games in a row only twice this season. They just came off of a 1-3 a road trip. Their only win was that, that win against UNC. So... The consistency, like we've mentioned that players themselves have been inconsistent. This team has not been able to find consistency on a game-to-game basis. So we don't know how well that's going to play into the ACC tournament. Um, I I would expect them to make the NCAA tournament. I just don't think that they would be uh, the the dark horse that some people may think they are. Yeah, they're certainly not going to be the same level or same caliber of team going into the tournament because usually they sit more around a 4, 5, 6 range, and now they're sitting closer to that 10, 12 kind of back half there. So, Max, what have you seen particularly out of this FSU women's team? Because we haven't had you on the show for in a while to talk some basketball. What have you seen out of them kind of so far this season? Is it really the same that what Austin and I have been talking about? I mean, yeah, they've seen a lot of inconsistency. They haven't been able to shoot the three-point ball whatsoever, Mm -hmm. and... Looking at their schedule right now, they play some pretty good teams. Syracuse, they play UM again. So if they want to make a push, they have to do it against some pretty good teams. And I think Bianca Jackson needs some some more help, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Every, this whole team, I mean, it's not just Bianca Jackson because it's when Bianca Jackson has a good night, no one else really steps up to help her. When Morgan Jones has a good night, no one steps up to help her. It's that snowball effect where it's just one person gets hot at a time. 
and no one can really find that energy to kind of combine it all together. And it, I know it's one of those kind of weird things to look back and say, but I mean, that's all that we can really tell from watching this on the outside, because obviously we're not in that locker room. We can't hear what Coach Wyckoff is talking about day in and day out. But we talked about it last week. We've noticed, obviously, it's not the same level of team that Coach Sue Semrau is usually here for. Do you really think having her off the floor there coaching-wise and in the locker room and in, on the practice court, do you think it's really impacted this team more in more ways than we really know? Max? Max? Oh, I mean, of course it's going gonna, it's gonna to impact them because they don't get their presence. They don't get her presence there. And they're probably used to it, but with COVID-19, it's going to be hard for them to get her back. And it's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough right now because they, have, they need to make a good stretch right now, and their schedule is not looking good. Yeah. Yeah, like we have, we have mentioned time and time again on this show that Brooke Wyckoff is a very capable coach. She's done well to get the team in position to be over 500 right now because losing such a veteran coach, such an accomplished coach as Sue Semrau, would be a death blow to a lot of teams. And it's not been a death blow to this women's team. So she's done well to keep them afloat, uh, more or less beating the teams they should beat, losing to the teams they should lose to, which puts them near the middle of the ACC. Uh, I, I don't, I can't agree with anybody that expected this team to live up to the expectations of past teams, be that three, four, five seed uh, when it comes to NCAA tournament time. So it, it's just been rough goings compared to what we're used to here at FSU. But I, I, I really don't have any qualms with how the team has played so far. As, aside from just obviously missing that three-point shot, that is something that was big against UNC, big against Miami, has been really the detriment of this team on the season so far. So that's really the one area that I would say pick it up if you want to be a contender in, in the conference. Yeah, and those next couple games, I know Max mentioned it, their next couple games are going to be tough. They take on Louisville. These aren't in order, but yeah. their next, their remaining schedule has Louisville on it, Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Notre Dame, Wake Forest, and Miami out yeah. there. So that is a, those are all teams that are above them or right next to them in the ACC standings at this moment. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The only team that's not in that little group, I believe, is NC State, and that game got canceled a couple weeks ago, so... The, the other four teams that are above FSU, they are going to have to punch above their weight class if they want to end the season on a high note. And the, the schedule sort of works in their favor, favor because mm -hmm. uh, four of their last five games of the season are at home. They just got off a four-game road trip. They're going to start a four-game, or uh, four out of their next five are at home. Uh, they cap off the season home against Wake Forest, and then before that, they play at Notre Dame. That's the only road game left on their schedule. So... It's going to be some tough competition, but it's going to be in familiar waters. You're not going to have to go on the road nearly as much as in the past in this season. So that could play into their advantage. And I think that's something that I think the road aspect of this college basketball season for both sides, men's and women's, has really affected more of because of the COVID aspect where you have to worry about where you're going, what you're doing at every minute. And you're always kind of locked in to the rooms, I would assume. It's not easy for them. Yeah, people love to downplay the effect that having no crowds has on home field advantage because there's not this roaring crowd of 10, 12,000 college students cheering for their college, but just the, the travel accommodations, having to leave X amount of days early, stay in your own rooms, not have nearly as much freedom as you would have in any other college basketball season. And this extends to the pros as well. There are some drastically changed travel uh, logistics in really every league because of COVID-19. So while the home field advantage may not be there in the in the arena 
obviously. Uh, there are definitely some other factors that go into this that make these four-game road trips, like the women just got out of, a lot harder to handle. Mm-hmm, for sure. And it's going to be a tough way through for this women's team, but if they are able to get a couple wins here and there against those t- better teams in the ACC, that will really help solidify themselves for a spot in this tournament. And obviously, we'll still have to wait and see how they perform in the ACC tournament once we get there in a couple of weeks. Because you mentioned it earlier, we're for uh, we're about five weeks from the start of the tournament, which is crazy. Which I didn't. This basketball season has flown by. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean there there have obviously been some games that are postponed or canceled for COVID nineteen, so not as much basketball to consume in an already shortened season. I believe the women are playing like five, six, seven less games than they were originally scheduled to play. Same for the men. So. There's been less basketball to consume, but even then, like we were talking before the show, the John Rothstein tweet that, that I saw that said Selection Sunday is five Sundays away, that just blew my mind. I had no idea. Yeah, Sebastian just picked up his head like, oh my gosh, it's that close. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, we're that's pretty much it on FSU men's and women's basketball. In the coming weeks, because now that football is out of the way after this week, we're going to have a lot more room to talk about everything basketball in both the national collegiate uh, scene, men's and women's, and also uh, the NBA, which we'll get to in just a minute. But before we get there, FSU softball gets underway this weekend. They take on FAMU at 6 p.m. on Thursday, Memphis 3 p.m. on Friday, Mizzou at 3 p.m. on Saturday. All three games are going to be played at Joanne Graff Field here in Tallahassee. So that's a really good thing for this FSU team. I know FSU, both uh, baseball and softball, they always open up the year at home just because of the fact that we're in Florida, we're in the South, it's going to be warmer, and all the northern teams where it's cold as heck will we'll travel on down here. So that's going to be great to see the FSU softball team and Coach Lonnie Alameda's team out there on the field this weekend. Like always, they bring in a ton of talent. They had the number one recruiting class in the ACC this season, uh, and they also have been picked to win the ACC again, and they're also the number 12 team in preseason rankings. Austin, what are your expectations right now for this team? Because right now it seems like they should be College World Series. I would definitely expect that, yeah. I mean, once you get to the College World Series, it's a lot of uncertainty there. They're the best teams from any conference across the country, so don't really know how to how to predict that even once we get to the, to the College World Series. But this team should definitely be in the mix. I would expect them to win the ACC because, uh, as you mentioned, they return a lot of the same players they had last season and the season before. I remember a conversation that uh, head coach Lonnie Alameda was having with someone in the the baseball press box uh, a couple seasons back. She was saying that coming off of their uh, the, the season following their national championship, she thought it was going to be a rebuilding year because they were losing a lot of players. So she was going to have to deal with having a, a team that wasn't going to be in the College World Series for the first time in a while. But, I mean, obviously last season... No no team made the College World Series because sports got canceled, but the outlook is a lot better than she or really anybody else was thinking for FSU. So. Well, even the team that they had the year after they won the national title, they still made it to the, was it the Super Regionals, and yep. they lost to OK State in three games, and that OK State team was a great team that yes. they took on. But still, this team, like I mentioned, they returned some really great players, and that's huge for this team. They obviously have Sydney Sherrill. She'll be back. She's a redshirt junior. Everyone's, mind you, is a redshirt this mm-hmm. year, technically, unless they are a true freshman. But you have redshirt, uh, you have Sydney Sherrill, infielder. You got Danny Morgan, Kalen Arnold, and Anna Shellnut all coming in. All those four players are also all ACC preseason picks for that uh, the season. So that's great to see out of this. 
Uh, Max, is there any one player for you that kind of jumps off the page and you're like, this is the person that's going to push this team over the edge and really step up this year? I guess right now it's Sydney Sherrill. She's a veteran that's been there for a while. And right now they're riding on a seven straight regular season division conference title and six straight conference tournament championships. So I expect them to be good again. But you're also going to expect other teams like Florida, Oklahoma, LSU, other teams to be good again and challenge them. Yeah, exactly. Sydney's obviously one of those players that her freshman year, she really came onto the scene hot and has been playing and lived up to all that hype that has come with her. So she's one person that really you're going to have to take note of this year. I'm I'm personally looking forward to a lot of Kaylin Arnold. I know she came in last year. She was a transfer from the University of Tennessee, pitched really well in the few games that they did have. And it's exciting to see her back for this team because they should – she's really going to need to step up and be that pitcher for this team to really be the ace. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the pitching has been sort of a question mark ever since the uh, the national championship season. That was, I believe, one of the reasons why they were not able to get out of the Super Regionals against OK State. So she's definitely going to have to step up. And I mean, just looking at the ACC, it, it's not going to be the cakewalk that, uh, that some people may think because Virginia Tech, the second-ranked team in the ACC, they got four first-place votes. So... Voters are split between FSU and Virginia Tech at the very least. And then some of the other teams here that are ranked high got a lot of high-ranking uh, high votes in the ACC, like uh, Notre Dame and Duke. They could easily surprise. So while it may not be a cakewalk, I think the expectation should be to win the ACC because this is a veteran team that returns a lot of players with, uh, with College World Series and Super Regional experience. Yeah, and they'll actually get a crack at VT pretty early on this year because the ACC, the way they're doing it this year, it's a little bit, it's a bit different of a way. They're actually hosting a weekend where they're doing an ACC pod in Atlanta for at least for FSU. They're going to be playing six games between Thursday, February 18th and Sunday, February 21st. They're going to play six or three games against Georgia Tech and then three games against VT. So that's really going to be a tester of a weekend for this team. And that's going to be one to keep your eye on if you want to see how this team is performing early. Obviously, you also have those uh, three opening weekend matchups, and those are going to be a lot of fun to watch. So, FSU softball is coming around the corner quick. But also, let's another one last seminal shout out here for FSU here. Brooks Kepka uh, won the waste management uh, at 18 under. Great performance by Brooks over there in Phoenix, and he killed it. I mean, the back nine of all four days of the tournament. He played at 14 under. So great stuff by Brooks. Sadly, Spieth kind of blew himself up on the last 18 of the weekend. But that's not really what we're here for. Because I know not too many people are here for golf talk, but I usually am. So we got that. But let's go over to the NBA a little bit before we start getting into that NFL stuff in the second half here. Uh, this weekend it was announced Derrick Rose would be tr- was being traded to the New York Knicks. Max, for uh, New York right now, how much of an impact does bringing Derrick Rose make? I mean, I have a friend that's a New York Knicks fan, and I always tell him sorry. My condolences. <laughs> for being a Knicks fan. But I asked him, like, like what do you think about it? Because they're bringing in a veteran, and they're taking away a second-round pick, and they're a young team. So I asked him, what do you think about it? And he said he wants to make the playoffs. I guess the Knicks, fan, Knicks are just the tired. They're ready. They're in it right now, and they're just making the push. So... Bring back Derrick Rose, I like it. He's going to take away minutes from Emmanuel quickly, but I think he can teach him a couple of things. Yeah, quickly losing minutes is something that I'm not really looking forward to because even in the, the early parts of this season, he is a large reason why the Knicks are currently in a playoff spot a third of the way through the NBA season. So 
he's a really exciting young player that I would love to see develop. But I mean, can we just like focus on how Tom Thibodeau uh, just has this obsession with getting his old players from the yeah. from the Bulls at every single location? He had Jimmy Butler and Derrick Rose for a time in Minnesota, got fired there. They went their separate ways. I don't think he's going to be able to lure Jimmy Butler to the Knicks, but he's doing everything he can to sort of recreate that uh, early 2010s roster up in New York. Are we going to expect Joakim Noah to sign with the Knicks now? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> with Jimmy Butler, heck, he might be coming down up to New York quickly because, I mean, the way that he are playing, they might be selling some pieces off right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he wasn't too happy when the, the Timberwolves kind of went south, so anything is possible, even with that monstrous contract that he has. I think right now with Jimmy Butler, at least well, we'll get to some Heat stuff, I guess, right now, because I think, well, I'm going to say it. Heat culture, it's different. <laughs> so, but yeah, so no, like I think it's really a little bit different situation. It's not it's not Minnesota where he's just wanting to get out because no one can play. Obviously, this Miami Heat team can play. They went to a finals. They yep. want. Granted, you could say, oh, it's in the bubble. It's whatever. I mean, it still takes a lot to win those games. It does take a lot of focus and a lot of energy. And I do believe this team has what it takes. But they're just not playing great basketball. I mean, that loss to the Wizards on Friday, was it last Friday or last week? I think Friday, yeah. It was the first game of the two-game set against the Wizards was awful. I mean, they just could not hit any shot to save their life in the second half. It was just the worst basketball I've seen out of this team in a long time. It felt like I was watching the Heat a couple years removed from Chris Bosh going down with his medical condition. I mean, it just was... It was it was awful to watch, really. It's not great basketball. Like Max, do you think there's any chance that he can still make a push and make a playoff spot in the East? Because it's not looking great right now from a Heat perspective. I think they can make a push because if you look at the playoffs, you have teams like the Hornets and the Knicks that they can they can still fall back. But what they were missing when they didn't have Jimmy Butler was that leadership. And right now that they have him, they're on a two-game winning streak, and hopefully they'll continue. But I think they still have time to make a push, but they need to start now. Yeah, oh, I wholeheartedly yeah. <laughs> agree with that. I mean, like, they got another one against the Knicks tomorrow night. Then they got the Rockets, Jazz, Clippers, and Warriors. So, I mean, that's going to be a tough West Coast road trip for this team. So, and not after the Warriors, they even got the Kings and the Lakers. So, I mean, yeah. geez, this is going to be a rough, rough yeah. stretch. I saw, I saw an ESPN thing that said um, Tyler Hero ices the game against the Knicks. And it's just like, like he iced the game, but that's. A little embarrassing. Yeah, exactly. Mix. Yeah, no, you're com you're completely correct. It's like this team should not be having should not have to ice games late against the New York Knicks, or should be even losing a game to the worst defensive team in the NBA in the Washington Wizards, where they gave up 103. I mean, they only scored With, 100 without without Russell Westbrook too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just I mean, just bad. I mean, I know Bradley Beal is great. I know he's amazing, but like, ah, it's tough. You just can't yeah. be losing, dropping those must. Those are must-win games. Must win. I, you could say must win or can't lose because they're really the same right now for this team. Yeah, I mean, people look at the the Nets' losses to the the Wizards in a different light because the Nets are uh, already so far atop the Eastern Conference. Uh, they're in third right now, or second, I believe. But for a team like the Heat that are still trying to find their identity post-COVID, it's super important for you to win those games because I think the Heat are only like three spots above the Wizards right now. Something like that. I, yeah. I mean, they're what is it? That's they're the Heat are 12th right now. Two and a half games yeah. above the Wizards if you're counting by games back. So I mean, that's not good. You shouldn't be two and a half games above the yeah. Wizards if you're the reigning Eastern Conference champs. I know you lost a few pieces. You got rid of Jay Crowder. You bring in Mo Harkless. I mean, not technically great replacements in my opinion, but the core is still there and I really should have a bit more faith in this team and mm -hmm. in Spo that they can get this team kind of back to where they need to be because they 
it's just, but it's just frustrating to watch right now. It's just yeah. bad basketball. Period. They have the talent. They have the talent. They just look depleted. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. But let's get a little bit off some Miami Heat talk. I mean, is there any at Max for you? We haven't had you on for NBA. We haven't really talked much NBA. But as of right now in the season, is there any team that has surprised you other than the Heat? Because I know that's surprising a lot of people right now. I mean, I guess the Cavs have surprised me. I know they're the 10th seed, but they've won 10 games. They've beat some pretty good teams. And obviously, the Utah Jazz, they're the first team in the Western Conference right now. And I didn't think I was going to say that. With the Lakers and the Clippers and the Nuggets in the West, I never thought I would see this right now. Yeah, the Jazz are one of the obvious answers for me. Also, the the Hornets and Knicks to be in playoff contention right now. But I'm sort of going to hijack this topic and, to- topic and talk about my Hawks go, because go I, I was, was going to do that last week. Didn't really get the chance to, but uh, I just, I'm tired of people talking down on Trey Young, just saying that he is the next coming of James Harden, drawing fouls to get points, saying he scores like, oh, he, he can score 40 points a night, but he takes like 15 free throws, so that's not really efficient. But that is not the brand of basketball he's been playing as of late. That may be what Steve Nash was alluding to earlier in the season, but he's been shooting upwards of 50% from the floor. He's been electric from three after a short little break from the, uh, from his, his highs uh, earlier in the season. And this roster has been riddled with injuries. He's been the guy alongside Clint Capella for a lot of the season so far. Bogdan Bogdanovich, the starting shooting guard, has been hurt. He has a, a fractured knee, so he's been out for a while. DeAndre Hunter just uh, was announced yesterday. He's going to have surgery. He's out for two weeks. And then a lot of the other depth pieces, Chris Dunn, the best defensive guard on this team, has not played a single second. So, I mean, people making fun of Trey Young because his team is currently under 500. I am not here for that because he has been putting on a show, and I believe that the Hawks are going to make the playoffs. I think they do too right now because the East particularly isn't looking that strong outside of the top four. The top four is that's that that's the yeah. really good top tier teams, but anywhere between right now where the Heat are up to the Hawks, it's anyone's game to making the playoffs. And I really, I mean, you could throw a dart at a board and say that mm-hmm. team makes it, and they probably will at this point. So it's going to be a lot of fun as we kind of watch the rest of this NBA season unfold. We're going to have a lot more talk coming down the line because obviously NFL is over. And we got a lot of room before we even get to baseball because baseball is going to be a couple of months now, it feels like, because they're dealing with their whole situation with spring training, Grapefruit League, Cactus League, all that stuff. But, Max, really appreciate you coming on for this first half of NBA, FSU men's and women's basketball, a little bit of softball here and there. But, yeah, really appreciate you coming on. Great job this half. Love your stuff. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, and that's all for this first half of Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We're going to be back in the second half with some NFL Super Bowl talk. We're going to close out the season on a high note. Maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit way too early Super Bowl predictions for next year. How about that? <laughs> but yeah, so thank. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Yeah. 
is good to me and there's nothing she doesn't see. She knows where I'd like to be, but it doesn't matter. I want you. But I did it because you lied, because he took you for a ride, because time is on his side, and because I want you. Welcome back, Tomahawk Talk, here live on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. I'm your host, Gary Putnick, joined by Austin Reynolds, Sebastian Angeliano, and also for this half now, Gabe Tisnes, our own V89 anchor here. Gabe, how are you doing tonight? Hey, guys, what's up? How are you feeling? I mean, as a as a fellow NFC South member, I mean, I'm speaking for the rest of the room, AFC yeah. East over here, but as an mm-hmm. NFC South fan, how are you feeling? How are you doing tonight? You know, I woke up and I didn't really want to think about it. I just was my denial phase. And then I went to work. And on my way there, I was wearing my cap, my Saints cap, very proudly, I must say, after, uh, you know, a fellow division rival winning the Super Bowl the night before. And some guy just lowers down the window and he's like, thanks for the ticket to the Super Bowl. And he's got a empathy and all that. And I'm just like, he's trying to, like, put on my happy face to go to work. And you're just, like, ruining all my good vibes, like. So it's been that kind of day for me, I would say. That, that ca- the cackling laugh you hear, Sebastian Angeliano, taking his victory lap around the NFC South here. So, okay, so let's let's just start out with this right now. I mean, cr- well, first off, congratulations to all of our Tampa Bay friends here at the station. Sebastian, Brett Rutherford, former host, Luke Hazen, and all the others that are Buccaneer fans. They, I mean, they've waited quite a while, I mean, since 2002, but... I mean, are we are as a group right now? Are we shocked at the way how this game ended? I mean, it it was a thirty-one to nine loss. I mean, I was predicting the highest scoring Super Bowl of all time. The Bucks yeah. did their part. The Chiefs, nothing. Sebastian, we'll start with you. So I actually, I I, I hate to to open it like this, but I I actually called it last week. I told you it's not going to be a super high scoring game. Um, these defenses are really damn good. KC was going, was one of the best uh, team, just all-around teams in the country, and the Buccaneer defense had been getting better and better and better and better. Even even in their first matchup, leading, leading into the bye in Week 13, and just every single week since. Sure, you can say that, um, you know, playing Atlanta twice, you know, a depleted Atlanta team who's just kind of waving the white flag, trying to wait for the season to end. You've got a, a and completely glassing, uh, uh, Detroit Lions team that just well were the Detroit Lions <laughs> once again. They suck. Shades of 2007. Uh, okay, maybe not that bad, but you, you they, know they were mean. pretty bad. Yeah. Let's be yeah. honest. <laughs> yeah, or was it 2000? Ah, who cares? Yeah. Um, Either way, 0 and 16. <laughs> yeah, 0 and 16. Um, you know, pe- people in the other teams in the NFC South and just pundits and stuff like that. It's like, oh, great, you can beat up like bad teams, but it, you're like one in six against winning teams, right? And that defense continued to improve and improve and improve and improve and getting pieces back like uh, like Vita Vea um, and and Worf's you know really blossoming as a defense or uh, as an offensive lineman. 
but um, that that defense was going to be really friggin' good coming into Super Bowl Sunday. Two weeks of rest, uh, playing at home, playing in a in a warm environment. There are no excuses, and they showed up. And the um, and the defensive line for um, well, well, we'll get that bit in a second. But mm-hmm. uh, that defensive line for Kansas City really did not. No. Um, if not I want sure. to, if I want to summarize it, like, did you see this coming? I. I saw like bits and pieces, you know, the writing on the wall, having two of your starting tackles just gone out of the equation, um, you know, shaving off like two seconds of, you know, time to process the field for Patrick Mahomes is, in, is insane. Like the dude only needs two and a half seconds to throw the ball. You now have his reaction times down to half a second. The average human, I, I know like Patrick Mahomes is not an average human being, <laughs> but the average like time to process something, like an immediate reaction time, for a human being is 1.33 seconds. So he's got four tenths of a, less than four tenths of a second to make a decision and throw a football or run the football. Well, you said you saw the writing on the walls last week. We talked about that writing on the wall, and I chose to ignore the writing on the yep. wall and say, oh, that doesn't mean anything. That won't, that won't come back to bite this team in the butt. And it did. I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs O-line did no part in helping this team to win. In the first play, you saw it there. When Kansas City got their first possession... And it didn't really amount to anything. I was like, oh, no, this is going to be the case all night long. Because if it's happening on play one, it's going to be happening when those O-linemen get a lot more tired come the fourth quarter. Yeah, and I, I am going to say just straight up, sorry to Luke Hazen, because he put out a tweet last night that said, spare me your I feel bad for Mahomes takes. The line was three and a half because he was supposed to be great, and he got straight up punk tonight. Line was three. <laughs> I, I am going to completely absolve Patrick Mahomes of all blame for that game, because w- when he plays behind a competent offensive line, he's the best player in the NFL by far. We've seen I mean, that for he the was, past. He was nothing short of spectacular. Like, he yeah. was nothing short of spectacular um, all night long, you know. Um, the the metric that people throw, were throwing around at around one of the morning last night was how far Patrick Mahomes moved out of the pocket uh, upon receiving pressure, which he received for more than half of his snaps. Yeah, that's ridiculous. First of all, getting pressured on half your snaps is insane. That is an all time like defensive performance. Um, but being able to scramble for almost five like it's three yards off of five hundred yards, four hundred ninety seven yards scrambling out of the pocket, moving around and trying to. And manufacture plays where there really wouldn't be. You put any other quarterback in history in that same position, they drown. They drown. They they get rocked. Um, Patrick Mahomes has has shown that he's a generational talent time and time again. Uh, you don't get the winning record that he has in the National Football League by just being pretty good. You got to be one of the best to do that. But, but um, it like we're we're uh, like the the failure of the Chiefs was so multifaceted that you cannot pin it on one thing. And this is where I want to talk about penalties. Yeah. Um, I want to get this out of the way because FSU-esque performance (laughs) when it comes to penalties, 11 for close to 120 yards. Moaning about penalties gets you nothing in the National Football League except fines. And moaning about penalties in this game is completely and totally pointless because it was a structural failure from top to bottom for the um, Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, the, The Tampa Bay Buccaneers did get... Maybe two good, uh, two favorable calls, but let, let's let's uh, just but go still, you like, could say from two, top to you bottom. You could say two favorable calls, but still, that means there's nine other penalties, yeah. and at that point, that's still an awful performance. Those are holding as a whole. calls. Yeah. Those are pass interference calls. Those are um, unsportsmanlike conduct calls. Multiple 
unsportsmanlike conduct calls. So if you've lost your temperament, you've lost your composure, you've lost your nerve, like you have completely lost the football game bef- like sans flags. When, when no single receiver, no, no, there's only one single receiver um, for Kansas City that has more yards than the entire team has penalties, and that's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. So um, let's address the two biggest penalties right now that happened all game. Obviously, the two pass interference calls. So we've got um, one on Mike Evans and another one. It was two on Mike Evans, right? Um, so you've got an initial trip call early in the first half of the game, and then you've got a... Um, You've got a uh, pass interference in the end zone in the second half, I believe. So the first one and the second one are, are basically one and the same, and it's don't mess with the receiver's route. Um, it doesn't matter if those balls are catchable or not. If the if the refs see that you mess with the receiver's route and inhibit him in any sort of way, especially um, with that little, like that margin of, well, can he catch this or can he not, um, you know, they're going to give that call. They're going to make that call. There was one no call in the end zone for Kansas City that maybe should have been a pass interference call, and it was one of the, like, the hero throws that, that Patrick Mahomes had. Yeah. It's where he's, um, I want to say, so um, take this from the Kansas City perspective, and he's driving, and he, he goes down around the left side of the field, and he throws it to the left side of the end it's zone. spun around. And yeah, he spun throw, around yeah. and threw it. That, okay, I can make, you can make the case for that being pass interference because there was some scrambling in the back, and, and the, uh, the receiver does stumble, like, before that, and there's a little bit of contact. I can, I can see the case being made for it, but it wasn't called, so it, it honestly doesn't matter. Uh, especially now, almost is only good for hand shoes and horse grenades, well, right? So yeah, so, okay, <laughs> hand so, shoes and yeah, <laughs> exactly. Those things are great, but uh, so, but for Gabe, I mean, was there one point in this game where you kind of saw it and you said, "This is it. It's over. Tampa Bay has won this, and it's not going to get any better for KC." Um, I think going into the fourth quarter, there was still hope, but it just looked so bad. It really reminded me of when the Seahawks destroyed the the Broncos. And when the Broncos beat the Panthers, mm-hmm. um, especially with the with the Panthers one, because the Panthers had Mike Remmers in the offensive line as well, the the offensive lineman that filled in for Eric Fisher, who got injured in the AFC Championship game. And in both games, we saw both quarterbacks running for their lives. And, I mean, I, I just expected Andy Reid to be able to figure it out and, you know, or scheme these receivers open, but they just weren't able to do that. And Holmes did all he could. Um, the Bucks, you know, credit to Todd Bowles and the defense. I mean, they really stepped up. This is one of the all-time performances in the Super Bowl by defense, and I, I was very much shocked. I, I did not see this coming. Obviously, looking back, it's, I can see why and how it happened, but I, I don't think that anybody could have predicted this. And, yeah, I mean, I, I was never going to say Mahomes is down 14 points, 21 points a half, or even the third quarter going into the fourth quarter and say it's over because we've seen him come back before. He was down, I believe, uh, what was it, like 10 points uh, with seven minutes left in the Super Bowl last year, and he came back and then won by 11 points against the Niners, who also had an amazing defense. So it's just one of those games, you know. Um, the, the Chiefs had won, I think, like 25 out of 26 games or something like that. So I, I think they were definitely deserved to be favorites. But when you think about why they were favorites, if you put most of the other quarterbacks in the situation that Mahomes was in, I don't think a single one could have done any be- anything better than what Mahomes did. 
I agree with that. And we're just so conditioned to the Chiefs coming back from these large deficits. They were down 24 nothing against the Texans before halftime in the AFC Championship game a year ago. And then they win that game by, what, what was it, upwards of 20 points? Something so like that. It was like 51-27, I want to say. It was something ridiculous. But uh, the point where I lost hope and kind of put those, those ambitions of, wow, Mahomes is actually going to do this uh, to rest was after the Leonard Fournette touchdown because that was sort of the icing on the cake that – Kansas City's run defense did not come to play. Uh, they weren't getting any pressure on Tom Brady outside of that early sack in the first quarter. And, I mean, the offensive line, we've touched on it a million times. Uh, those those replacements at tackle were not doing their job. Patrick Mahomes was on the run to the tune of 500 yards last night, so he was not helped by those guys whatsoever. Uh, but even, even despite all that, making passes uh, just on the edge of the sideline, uh, getting it to the corner of the end zone almost for a, for a touchdown – and then getting a pass off, just throwing an ice bullet right to his receiver, hit him in the face mask while he was perpendicular to the ground, or uh, parallel to the <laughs> ground, my bad. That was insane, uh, but th- the magic sort of died whenever the Leonard Fournette touchdown happened. For me, when watching this game, I had that feeling, I had this feeling in the second quarter, mm-hmm. and it was, it's awful, because you see it, and you know this is it, the, the, this game's over, they get no more life in them, and it was after the Chiefs got the stop on fourth down on the goal line, huge momentum shifting play that can really turn it around because at this game, at that time, it's only seven to three. And they get the stop, then they go three and out quickly, backed up in their own goal on the in their own end zone. And then Tommy Townsend, friend of the program, recurring guest, been on the show a couple uh, once before, but Tommy Townsend lines up a punt, muffs the punt a little bit, but still pops it off for a 56 yard punt. Then the yellow flag comes out, a hold, and then they got a punt again. And this time he gives the ball to the to the Bucks on, on their own 38, on Casey's own 38. I mean, they re- that really flipped the momentum because if that 56-yard punt stands, maybe K- maybe Tampa doesn't have an as easy of a job as running it to the end zone as they did. And maybe you're able to get something back. Maybe you're able to get a pick. I know that's the sliding doors, the butterfly effect, but... Mm-hmm. That punt, that hold, really messed this game up for KC. Yeah, uh, those small mistakes like that, those small, the, the penalties, they're not small, they lost by 22 points, but those those mistakes that you think are uh, really insignificant in the moment, those add up over time. And uh, you cannot keep making those mistakes against Tom Brady, you can't keep uh, throwing away scoring opportunities, because... This is the most seasoned guy in the league. He's been here nine times before, won six of them. So. Ten times before, don't get well, that wrong. No, 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 nine times oh, before, before last night. Oh, before yeah. last night, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he has experience in these high-pressure situations, and while the mistakes you're making may not be against his side of the ball, you may be making some of these against defense or special teams, he is going to find ways, and Bruce Arians is going to find ways, and the coordinators as well. I think both these coordinators should get head coaching interviews at the, at the end of next season. You but think Todd Bowles? Todd Bowles, another, yeah. He gets another chance? I think he redeemed himself. Like, the situation with the Jets was not great his first time around. He didn't really help matters either, but he's really re- rebuilt his image alongside uh, the offensive coordinator. So, I mean, they, they did. They had an impressive game plan last night, and if they can keep it up, make a, a decent playoff run next year. I'm not anticipating Super Bowl again, but if they can oh, put oh up no. a decent... <laughs> We're already betting against Tom Brady, and uh, it's not uh, even the okay, day removed. Okay, no. If, if they can <laughs> put up a Falcons decent performance, then they should, they should definitely get looks. Also, real I, quick, I just want to mention the, the mistake by Andy Reid before halftime. I don't think it's getting as much attention as it should. Um, the Bucks were almost... They were near midfield, but they, were, they only had 40 seconds, and they didn't look like they were going very aggressively at a scoring position. 
and Andy Reid started calling timeouts, not just once, but then twice. Yeah, yeah. And that gave the Bucks an opportunity to score once again, right before half, like we saw in the Green Bay game. And I think if those mistakes weren't happening, then the Chiefs would have had a much better chance. Yeah, it's yeah, like well, like we said, it's sliding doors, all that kind of thing. It's those little moments that really do compound and make a huge effect later on throughout the game. And it's so strange because KC has been one of the more disciplined teams in the league since Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes have sort of done their thing. So to see so many mental errors, so many preventable mistakes last night on the highest of stages, it's it's really nothing that I would expect. But I mean with with Patrick Mahomes' post-game availability last night, he said this loss sort of lit a fire in him, like being in the locker room was an awful experience after that game. But he said losing this badly to Patrick, or to Tom Brady uh, lit a fire in him that is going to motivate him just incredibly much for next season. So if we see pissed off Patrick Mahomes and pissed off Andy Reid, then they could wreak havoc on this league. And I think what this shows for Patrick Mahomes, this is a, I think this can turn into a really great teaching moment for yeah. him because he kind of sees like that is the best guy to ever do it at this position in this game, possibly of all time in any sport. And I got beat bad by him tonight. This is a really good moment for him to kind of, it's either a put up a shut up moment and he can either kind of crawl back into that hole and admit I lost. I'm not as good as him. I'll never be him. Or you can say, no, I've seen it before. Tom Brady has lost Super Bowls. I mean, he's lost arguably the biggest Super Bowl when they did not complete the undefeated season back in the day against the New York Giants. But they, those guys have their moments. I mean, nobody is perfect unless you're really Michael Jordan at this point when it comes to titles. But I think this is a big moment in Patrick Mahomes' career because some guys, some guys just never come back from a Super Bowl loss the same way. And I think it takes a little pressure off his shoulders as well, because leading up to this game, he was already in the greatest of all time discussion. People were saying, if he takes down Brady, if he takes down the greatest of all time, this is going to be a passing of the torch. He's going to make it to X amount of Super Bowls for years to come, and his career is just going to take off astronomically. So I feel like expectations for him, for the Chiefs organization as a whole, have sort of come back down to earth after this Super Bowl. And maybe they do make another Super Bowl or two or three in Patrick Mahomes' career, but I think that people the, with the GOATs argument sort of toned down a little bit in his third year in the league, that's going to be a huge help for him going forward. And it's going to be... Quick, oh, yeah. Real, real quick, I think there's a lot of comparisons that can be made about how Mahomes is going to reflect on this Super Bowl loss, but the one that stuck out to me was the one with LeBron James whenever he lost against the, the Mavericks. You know, he, yep. he was supposed to win, and then he didn't. Obviously, Mahomes already won one beforehand, but... I think LeBron learned a lot about that game, and then that propelled him to go and win another uh, ring or two rings with the, mm-hmm. the Heat and then the Cleveland. And so I think this can be a positive experience too. Um, it just depends on how he reacts and how the Chiefs organization reacts. Because I mean, some of these players are not going to be back, but they they definitely their, their Super Bowl window is still open by by all means. I agree, but it could be closing quickly, too, just because that huge contract that Mahomes is on right now, yeah, the, the, that cap space is going to get very tight, and especially in the coming years, or maybe even next season, where we have had some revenue loss in the NFL due to COVID and the pandemic and less fans being there, less game day revenue kind of pumping around this uh, organization. You're going to see some cap uh, play really be huge, and that's going to be for both this team. I really think the Bucks they could be in trouble, too, because, I mean, they're going to have to figure out, do they want to re-sign some of these guys? Because obviously Brady's only got one more year on this contract. I anticipate, I anticipate, I've said this all, <laughs> that should be, it should be it. This should be the end in a year. After next year, it should be it. I hope and pray. The bad man should be gone. Hopefully. But 
they still have Leonard Fournette, who they brought in. This is the, I'm counting really the new guys that they have. Leonard Fournette, who's going to be asking for some money in just a bit. Rob Gronkowski should be done by the time Brady's done. I anticipate them kind of going out together. And Antonio Brown, I mean, he, I mean, those three guys, it's crazy. All three of those guys scored in the Super Bowl. The three guys that they brought in that this season in the offseason. Five guys that they brought in scored for the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Nobody on, who was on the team suck last up. year actually oh, scored a up, point right, in the yeah. Super Bowl. I forgot this was a suck-up revenge game. Yeah. yeah. Suck-up, I, I, I want to sing suck-up's praises uh, for a moment because um, one of the things that Tampa friends never have the chance to take for granted is, oh, well, we've got a, we've got a kicker who can, who can nail this kick without a doubt. He was flawless this postseason. Something that I haven't really seen around um, or or talked about um, in, in the postseason coverage, but he's, he, he's been flawless. He did not uh, scuff a single kick in the NFC Championship, in the Divisional, or the Wild Card, or the Super Bowl. Like, he was flawless. And that is something, like, for me, that was the, the biggest moment for me. It's like, okay, this game is going to be fundamentally different because I, I – have never been able to take that for granted. Uh, Matt Gay was a really damn good kicker. Like I'm not gonna disrespect him because last year he was he was very very good, very consistent. Missed a little, uh, I think maybe two or three more kicks um, than Suckup did this entire year, but um, he was he was good. I mean we know about the Aguayo fiasco. Oh, yeah. oh my god! <laughs> I was um, waiting to jump yeah. in with that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, but in, in years past, uh, for it, the the kicking position. Has been just as or the the kicker position has been just as volatile as the quarterback position for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I can list off like a dozen dudes um, for the quarterback position, and I'm sure if you stuck a, a list under me uh, for the kicking position, the list would be just as long, if not longer, because they go through like three or four guys a year. There were there was a point where they would go through two to three guys a year. It was ridiculous, but it but it, it did happen, and I'm so happy that Ryan Suckup is a Buccaneer because he really just did his job flawlessly without making a big fuss about anything without having any dramatic kicks or anything no doinks no nothing did you say do your job <laughs> yeah, he did his job man. Don't, don't say those don't say that phrase also we mentioned we mentioned antonio brown just now uh can I, i'm gonna go for the low-hanging fruits can do, we please just accept that karma does not exist because after all those fiascos with right. the steelers with the raiders with the patriots people thought that this this dude is irredeemable and from what i heard in his uh in his Super Bowl availability during media week, he was not remorseful about anything he did. Uh, everything, Every one of the answers he gave was something like, oh, I'm on my path to redemption. I'm going to prove all the haters wrong, not owning up for the mistakes that made him, uh, made three teams cut ties with him. So, I mean, he's done well to stay out of trouble so far with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Who knows if he stays there beyond this season? I have no clue. I think he might be on his way out just because some of the answers that he gave to the national media could rub people the wrong way. But at the same time, he is a valuable part of this team. He scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl for them. So, I mean, it's just, I don't like to see that man succeed. Well, so what you guys both just mentioned there, Ryan suck up with the great kicking this year in the playoff, and Antonio Brown kind of getting his second chance, you call it that. Those are staples of Tom Brady football teams, yeah. teams that he's been a part of. It's been great kicking with Venetari and Goskowski, and it's been second chances, and it's about guys who they kind of take on his projects in when it came to the Patriots. I mean... Those, it's crazy how those kind of things just moved over from New England down to Tampa, and it's it's wild in a way to look at and think about the parallels. I mean, for for AB specifically, like uh, Tom is, or, or Tom Brady is a guy that players like everybody that you meet that has played for him 
say like, yeah, I'll 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 run a wall through that uh, for that guy. I'll run through a wall for that guy, or I'll go to war for that guy. Um, and AB, I think, is like, you know, he, AB looks at Tom Brady and goes, "This man can lead me to the promised land if I just do everything everything that he says." And he has, from what we've we've always heard through uh, the different organizations that he he's been a part of, he when it comes to football specifically, I'm I'm going to. I shouldn't, but I'm going to put everything else in a box for just one second. Bear with me here. When it comes to the football stuff, the man has a work ethic unlike any, uh, unlike very few people in the league. He, his his work ethic when it comes to fitness to training. He kicked his family out of the house for Super Bowl week. Yep. He no, literally I'm not, was I'm not, no, alone. I'm not, I'm not talking about Brady. I'm not talking about oh, Brady. Oh, okay, I was about right. to say Tom Brady. That's uh, Brady was alone for 12 days um, at uh, St. Petersburg, as we as we affectionately call it. Uh, here on the show uh, for for 12 days just studying like film like 12 hours a day crazy man but um specifically ab ab is a true workhorse when it comes to the nfl now what let's let's take all that stuff uh out of the box again and look at him as an entire like character right uh not just as a, on per- as a person not yeah, a character like, a person not, not like a caricature but like a character as in the your moral f- makeup right mm-hmm. Um, no, a lot of that stuff is inexcusable. At the end of the season, he obviously has to deal with the trial. We'll see where that goes. But honestly, um, this is one of those things that I think even someone like Antonio Brown, with with the ego and the showmanship of coming in on a hot, in a hot air balloon to the Bay Area, uh, the, the other Bay Area, um, you know, like uh, the, the diva as, as the Steelers know him on uh, the hit show Days of Our Steelers. Um, you, you know, like, he, he knows that with with how hard Arians is on his guys when it comes to stuff like that. And, like, this is like a one-in-a-million shot. Like, this is my ticket back into the league, back my ticket back into big money if he decides to go somewhere else, which I, I maybe, who knows. Like, I think at this point, uh, Brown and Brady are bound at the hip. And uh, not in the same way that Gronk and Brady are, you know, the most dynamic tight end quarterback duo in history. But, um... But in a way, like this man is not indebted, but I think he'll he'll stay with him just because this is proven now. Well, and this I, is successful. This is a Super Bowl winning formula. All three of those guys are such interesting case studies: Gronk, Brady, and Brown, because of the way that they've kind of all went through their whole NFL career and how they handle themselves both on and off the field. I mean, there's you could do a whole like long like you could do a whole like kind of thirty for thirty on each of those guys and really get some interesting stuff out of it. If you don't think ESPN's not penning like a fifteen part series. Well we already know they have the fifteen part (laughs) Tom Brady series coming about. Then was it the man in the arena? That thing's coming out I believe this summer or some sometime soon. But I mean even a Gronkowski thirty for thirty and Antonio Brown thirty for thirty in a few years, it's something to look back on and it's like wow, these guys were really just different just different kind of people that were able to overcome and deal with and go through a lot of things that are both good and bad. I mean, you got a little bit of a glimpse into it, uh, seeing some of the stuff on Aaron Hernandez. You heard some stuff about Gronk in those documentaries and shows. I mainly listened to the Wonderly uh, podcast about that, but still, it's it's so interesting to kind of take a look at and take a step back from. But I want to end up on this last question before we end the show tonight. For all three of you guys, should the Bucks? be the favorite for next season awesome i don't think so right now i think they should definitely be in the mix obviously like brady and arian said they're coming back they're, they're not going anywhere for 2021 but we just don't know for a lot of these guys on one-year contracts what's going to happen because we talked about ab i think brady is ab's ticket into the league i don't i honestly don't think he goes anywhere else if he's going to be in the nfl it's going to be with the buccaneers 
and with their cap situation, I don't know if he's going to... I mean, obviously the trial as well. There's a million things that could go wrong with that, but uh, I don't know if he's going to want a long-term deal with more guaranteed money or if he'd be down to take another one-year flyer uh, just for the the one year that Tom Brady's still in the league. I have no idea there. So I would not call them favorites just yet, but I would say, like, for sure they're in the mix. Sebastian? Okay, so the uh, Buccaneer cap situation is not as bad as like someone like the Saints, right, where, where it is true cap hell. Um, going into next season, like going into this off season now, uh, they have cap space, actually. Uh, there is room to work with. Now there's dudes clearly on that team that want to stay on the team. Gronk wants to stay here. Antonio Brown will most likely stay here. Uh, and then you've got dudes like Mike Evans, who who today was like, yes, I'll, I'm, I'm more than happy to to work around my contract or restructure it to make sure that we have space to bring as keep as many guys as we can. There's dudes who have been franchise tagged and dudes who are like, we got to we, We'll deal with this after the season. Um, Shaq Barrett is the biggest, biggest example. Um, still plenty of guys on their rookie contracts, Vita Vea, Tristan Warfs, Antonio Winfield Jr. So these major components are going to stay there. And I'm, I'm positive that, uh, that Brady is like one of those guys that you know dudes want to play with because they want to continue winning games. Uh, nobody that's here right now, like uh, JPP, is a great example. Uh, JP uh, Jean Pierre Paul, that's his first Jason, name. Right? Jason. Jason. Yeah. Why, why is, I, right, I think J- I think Jean Pierre is some guy from the French Revolution, probably. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, sorry, Jason Pierre Paul. Why did I say Jean? Um, it's on like a as a classic uh, example of one of those guys. Like he took less money uh, a couple of years ago to to keep bringing in guys. Uh, let Jason Light do his magic, right? Um, and I can't believe I just said that. 2016, you go, you walk back. Not even the 2016 me. Walk back to 2017 me and tell me, oh yeah, by the way, this dude's gonna lead you to the promised land too. Like he's gonna bring in Brady and like six other dudes, and they're gonna uh, roll the Chiefs in the in the playoffs. It's like, what, what the, did I become a stoner in college? Like, um, that's what I would have, have told me uh, from four years ago. But I, I think the the situation is manageable. Do they lose maybe a couple pieces? Maybe. Um, I think you're, like, Mike and Chris Godwin. or sorry, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. I think those dudes stay. A lot of the core components stay. Maybe uh, a guy like Nadam Kinsu and uh, Jason Pierre-Paul. Those are my two biggest question marks because they're the two oldest guys in that divisional core. Uh, they're vets. They're tried and true. They led that uh, that defensive locker room. Uh, to their glory, so who knows? But I'm, I'm just, I can't stop smiling, man. I'm, oh, I'm taking it in course. right now. <laughs> Gabe, what are your thoughts on your divisional rival going forward? <clears throat> so obviously their division is getting weaker with the Saints not really having the same roster next year. Uh, Falcons still don't really have their crap together. Sorry, Austin. Oh, the Panthers that's fine. are still trying to find themselves, to say the least. So the division should not get any harder. But uh, the NFC always seems to have a surprise contender so it's kind of hard to predict who that will be right now uh, obviously with Aaron Rodgers we don't know if he's 100% coming back so we'll have to look out for that and then I, I just can't think of any other team than the Chiefs to, to take in the in, in the AFC so I think it's one of the easy answers but and obviously if the Bucks just beat the the home field curse for the Super Bowl the that's like my all-time curse that I believed in until this year unfortunately but well, no one else had played in it before. The, uh, say what? No one else had ever played at home before. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. They yeah. beat the curse. Yeah. They won the Super Bowl at home, which nobody had ever done. Mm-hmm. And now they're going to have to face the going back-to-back curse, which nobody has ever gone back-to-back since the 04 Patriots, 
which is not that big of a curse, but uh, I can you, uh, you know, I believe in curses. So. Gabe, can you do me That's... a favor and remind me who that was? Who that quarterback was? <laughs> yeah, I, I, he's I, got a, he's got a point. The man has a point. It's here. escaping me right the now. The man's I, got a point. Uh, uh, something like uh, Thomas bomb, bomb Trady, bomb like uh, Thumb Thumb Lady. I, I don't. Oh right. Tom Brady, yeah, that's that right. guy. Yeah, that that's guy. Right. Almost forgot. Yeah, Sorry yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, some yeah, some no name that was a sixth round pick. Yeah, sixth round pick, I mean, like some dude out of Michigan. I, I'm not Michigan gonna sit here and say that it's our favorite. <laughs> but I just, I just, I'll congratulate you on, on last night. But going forward, good luck to you. Yeah. So it's. I mean, it was, this was a great season. I know it was ups and downs. We didn't have the kind of atmosphere that we hoped for throughout the NFL, but. They got the job done. Yep. We got to the Super Bowl. We played it. We thankfully there wasn't any blowups in any kind of in any kind of way. I know we had a few few ups and downs scheduling wise, but season got done. Credit to the NFL and Goodell and all them. So that's all for this episode. And that's all for the football season. The 2020 to 2021 football season is over. We will be talking about football come spring game for FSU football. But until then, it's gonna be a lot of basketball, maybe some hockey. From here on out. The forbidden subject. Ooh. So, yeah. So, we'll have that coming in the coming weeks. But, yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tomahawk Talk. For myself, for Austin, for Sebastian, for Gabe, for Max, and for everyone else listening. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And we'll see you next week. Thank you very much.